This morning we're going to be thinking about how we respond to interruptions to our sense of mission. And to do that, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31 today. About two months ago on March 12th, I was in downtown Boston with a group of pastors. And we were participating together in a retreat centered on faith and the arts. And to that end, we were touring the Boston uh, Museum of Fine Art that morning. We spent uh, several hours there in the first part of the day, but we noticed as we were leaving the museum around lunchtime that strangely the the staff of the museum were beginning to shut things down early for the day. We made our way to a nearby Tex-Mex place there in, in the University District in Boston, and what would normally be a restaurant slammed with college students was strangely empty. We, we made our way from lunch over to a nearby church where we had a series of conversations with uh, some faculty and, and professors at Gordon-Conwell. And we were eagerly anticipating that evening going to attend the opening performance, the season opener of the Boston Ballet's performance of Carmen. But about 3 p.m. as we were in our meetings, we got a phone call informing us that that performance had been canceled. Around the same time, all the cell phones of the pastors in that group began ringing, and there were questions from elders about whether we were closing the churches that weekend, whether their schools were canceling the day after. Felt like the world was changing all around us as we were sitting there and speaking with one another. And we all got into a van that night to head back to the Gordon-Conwell campus north of the city, and and the highways were strangely empty. It seemed like the whole city, in a matter of hours, had moved indoors and was preparing for this new season that was coming. 24 hours later, I was back in Jericho, and we were making decisions to cancel our annual Sugar on Snow party the next day, and also deciding to cancel our Sunday worship gathering. I wonder where you were or what you were doing when you first realized just how big an interruption was coming our way this spring. When was it that you started to notice that the plans you had for the next week or the next month were going to have to change? Interruption is always a difficult thing to deal with. Here we are, though, two months later, and our world is starting to wonder about and to ask with new eagerness, when, when, when can we get past this interruption, and when can we get back to real life? How does that happen? Well, during... A much longer and more significant interruption, the Second World War, C.S. Lewis wrote to one of his friends in a letter, and he said this. He said, at this time, the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or one's real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life, the life 
God is sending day by day. What one calls one's real life is a phantom of their imagination. Lewis is right, I think, that it is a great challenge for us to stop trying to sort every new day as either an interruption or as a a return to real life, quote-unquote. It's a challenge for us to see each and every new day as a day sent by God to us with reason and purpose and opportunity. As we have been watching the church in the book of Acts begin to to grow and, and come to life these past few weeks, we've seen them beginning to move in mission together as a community, We've seen God healing through them and surprising that community in Jerusalem through them and evangelizing the people around them. And the description of those first weeks and months is an exhilarating one. But just as all that momentum is is reaching kind of new levels and new people are coming and flooding into that first church, we come to the opening verses of Acts 4, where the church runs right into a serious interruption. Our goal this morning is to see how they respond to that interruption and how they are able or enabled by the Spirit of God to continue forward in mission despite it. Let me pray for us as we open to Acts 4 together today. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment from your word and through the power of your spirit to see how even the interruptions are part of the real life you have given us. Lord, how even this different season is one that you have uniquely prepared and are moving in to send us forth in in a fresh way, in new boldness in mission. Lord, I pray as I preach this morning, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So I want to invite you to open up to Acts 4. We're going to pick up in verse 23 today. But to, to help, again, set the stage for where we're at, at the, at the beginning of Acts 4, Peter has just finished delivering this incredible evangelistic message in the temple courtyards. They've, they've healed this lame man. The crowds are responding. They're understanding what the message of Jesus is all about. And just as they're, they're beginning to, to join Peter and John, the temple guard shows up. And they begin to ask questions about what they're doing and why they're there. They actually then arrest Peter and John. They throw them into jail for the night. And eventually they are released the next day, but they are told that they may not speak the name of Jesus publicly again. And that, of course, was not only a problem just for Peter and for John, but for the entire church community because the the temple was the place they gathered to pray and to worship. So how then was the mission of God to go forward when the, the way they were used to operating was being shut down? 
It sounds a little bit like the situation we find ourselves in right now. Right? Our usual ways of worshiping and proceeding have been sort of taken off the table. But let me read to us to start just a little bit of this passage, verses 23 and 24, and consider what they have to say about how we respond to interruption. Acts 4.23 says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported that reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. My first point this morning is that interruptions are an opportunity that call us to be a prayerful community. One of the things that Jesus seems to have instilled in the disciples pretty deeply is that as things get tough, tough times require us to come together. They, they call us together as a community. Think about when Jesus is crucified and how the disciples band together in the upper room in those in-between days. And then again at the start of Acts, when Jesus ascends to heaven, the disciples come back together. They, they huddle in community in the upper room a second time. And here, after Peter and John are roughed up by the temple guard, after they're jailed for the night, verse 23 says that that next day they went back to their own people. They seek out their community. The phrase in verse 23 translated their own people is a, a Greek phrase that would typically refer to a family or a household in the ancient world. But of course, here in this context, it's referring to that cluster of disciples and friends that have, have formed essentially a new family, a new kind of household in Jerusalem as part of the church. And so they come back, it says, to this tight-knit community, to their own, to report everything that's just happened and everything that has been said to them. And there's a sense of this spiritual family gathered in strength. But after everything they've just been through in the past couple days, I could imagine that that conversation could take a couple different forms. One, if, if Peter began to tell them about everything that just happened, there, there could have been kind of a venting session. Peter and John blowing smoke about what happened, how they were treated, letting themselves get angry or upset. Alternatively, the, the community could have heard those things and also then begun to look for solutions, ways to respond, ways to fix the problem in front of them, or how they were going to deal with all the bad PR the church was going to get as a result of this. But what we're told in verse 24 is that as Peter and John return back to their own, to their community, it says that that community begins to raise their voices loudly. But they don't raise them against their persecutors. They don't raise their voices in anger. Rather, it says they raise their voices to God in prayer. As Ben Witherington puts it, instead of responding with consternation, this community opts for concentration in prayer. 
And I want us to listen to how they pray, starting in the second half of verse 24. They pray, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, who said, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. We said in our first point that interruptions can call us to be a prayerful community. My second point this morning is that interruptions can also call us, as we pray, to see the sovereign power of God. Interruptions can remind us of God's sovereignty. The greatest temptation we face when we are interrupted in life is for that thing to sort of overwhelm us, for the the problem to suck us in. And when that happens, right, when that thing becomes our focus, then that also has a way of amping up our sense of anxiety or fear or worry. And pretty soon, the result is that our mission and our focus is, is dissipated, right? We don't have any energy left over to, to pursue those things. What gets your attention in the middle of an interruption, right? What do you focus on? Right now, my guess is that just about every family, every workplace, every community is trying to figure out what reopening looks like two months after staying inside, staying home. And there are some really different ideas, different approaches out there about how we do that. In some cases, people at the moment are even sort of taking sides around this question. For me personally, that that makes it difficult or even stressful some days to, to try to figure out how JCC as a community goes forward, right? How do we open up? How do we take steps together going into the weeks and months ahead? But I think how we deal with disruption says a great deal about who we believe is in control of things. Let me say that one more time. How we deal with disruption says a lot about who we believe is in control. We can feel angry. We could feel anxious. We can get discouraged. And I'm sure all of us have felt those things in the past few weeks at different times. I think we can see in a time like this just how, how vulnerable, how limited our plans and our powers are for sort of forecasting the future. But I want us to see here in this passage how the Holy Spirit directs these women and men in this early church to navigate the, the first major disruption they encounter as a community. Notice that as they pray here, their attention moves away from the interruption being their focus 
And instead, their prayer is focused on the immense power of God in the midst of this. They begin their prayer in verse 24 with the address, with the opening words, Sovereign Lord, or in Greek, despota, which is a very particular term. It means the ultimate or the sovereign ruler of everything. And they go on to say, Sovereign Lord, you're the one who made the heavens, you made the earth, and you made everything in them. I think that's a powerful way for us to come to a time of prayer. For us to say as we pray, God, nothing in creation would even be here without your intention. Without your steadfast love to, to make it in the first place, to go beneath it and before it. Right, to sustain it. Right, in prayer, we have to remember that we are praying to a sovereign Lord. Sometimes I, I try in my morning time of prayer, in the first part of the day, to start out with a prayer that looks something like the one prayed here. And to take even just two or three minutes to remember that everything in my day, whether it's my person, whether it's my home, whether it's my circumstances that day, the the job I have, things in my family, these are all things that God has made. They're all things that he has a purpose for. They're all things that he loves. And ultimately, they are all things that belong to him. Beginning a day in that way can really put things into perspective for me. Right? God, you made the heavens and the earth and everything in them, is how they pray. And I think when we do that, when we bring the sovereignty of God into view in prayer, it also permits or, or enables us to begin to pray and to ask God about the things that don't seem good, that don't seem to be as they ought to. Here in verses 25 and 26, this group of believers begins to pray and, and they move their, their, their minds are moved to Psalm 2, a psalm of King David, where David asks, why do the kings and rulers of the earth who God created and has given their power and has given their kingdoms, why is it that they so often oppose the mission and purpose of God? Why would they even raise their hand against the anointed one, the Messiah of God, is what David says in that passage. And as they pray through that scripture, then they they make it personal. They apply it to their own situation in verses 27 and 28. And they ask God in prayer, well, how is it that that Pontius Pilate and King Herod in in recent days managed to take Jesus, God's Messiah, God's anointed one, and put him to death? What could seem like a greater interruption to the plan, to the mission, to the purpose of God than, than the crucifixion of the Messiah, right? But in verse 28, they continue praying through the power of the Holy Spirit. And these believers are able to say that even this, even the death, even the betrayal, even the crucifixion of Jesus did not happen independent from 
the will and the power and the knowledge of God in all things. Meaning that that God has taken even great evil, even death and opposition and interruption of every kind. God's taken these things into account. And he remains sovereign over them. And he he takes them into account and he, he works them in and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he sends forth a resurrection people, this church, through Jesus through whom and by whom his sovereign power is is going to go out into the world. And that mission will overcome and transform these things. Where might we need to be refreshed and reminded today of God's sovereign power, his good purpose, his plan in all things? It's part of how we pray through a season of interruption. So here we see in verse 29, this this time of prayer has drawn this this group of believers in together as a community. It's drawn them up in worship toward God and, and to recognize his sovereign power. But finally, this prayer concludes with a request that God would send them back out with a renewed feeling and purpose and power for mission. Read with me verses 29 through 31. They pray, Now, Lord, consider these threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders Through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The third point I want to make this morning is that interruptions have the potential to renew us with an even greater sense of mission with an even greater boldness in that mission. I'm amazed at how the prayer of these disciples resists becoming insular here or or self-protective. These believers don't pray and, and ask for the overthrow of these rulers or enemies. They don't even pray to God and, and ask for an increased measure of safety in this time. Commentator Ajith Fernando says the only two requests in this prayer have to do with evangelism, which has just been outlawed. And their prayer is, is, Lord, whatever happens, don't let this interruption prevent your word from going out, from, from taking root in this place. And so in verse 29, they say, Lord, Consider our circumstances, right? Consider the threats. Consider the obstacles in front of us. And we're not asking you to eliminate them, but we're asking that through your wisdom you would enable your people and your church to keep speaking your word. Somehow interruption here inspires boldness in them. For the past few months, the summer Bible camp team here at JCC has continued to meet and talk together 
and try to figure out how in the world do you have a summer Bible camp this summer. And of course, no one fully knows what will be possible in three months' time. But some, sometimes I think interruptions, as frustrating as they can be, can also lead to kind of unexpected seasons of creativity and energy. This week there were several emails kind of bouncing around among that team that I think demonstrated just how passionate, how, how kind of innovative and deeply prayerful that team is being in this time. That whether, whether this sort of camp happens in the way we've always done it, whether we have to modify it, whether we have to move it online into a virtual space, right, their, their desire and their prayer is that they want to see our community recognize and, and, and be uh, touched by the love of Jesus this summer. And they're boldly praying and imagining how that might happen. In verses 30 and 31 here, the church in Acts asks that God would make a way for them, that he would keep them worshiping, keep them moving forward in mission. But that as they do that as a church, that God would add the the unmistakable work of his spirit to the words they speak. God, confirm with your power the word we're proclaiming about Jesus. God, go before us with your Holy Spirit. So to help us put legs, so to speak, on this passage, I want to invite you to respond in a very specific application this week. I want to simply invite you to pray. Specifically pray with a group of JCCers who live kind of in the the towns or communities around you. And I want you to pray and and sort of ask God, what is the way forward? What is the way that you're leading us through this time of interruption? I've I've asked a handful of members of this church to sort of help collaborate or, or lead these prayer times. And so we're setting up a series of Zoom calls. Again, if you live out in Richmond and Huntington, we, we're setting up a Zoom call for those communities. If you live here in Jericho, we'll set up another call there. If you live in Burlington and Shelburne, we'll set up a Zoom time for you to pray with one another. And we're asking that you simply take 30 minutes and, and cluster together and pray as God's people. Right, Come together in community. Recognize the power of God to continue his mission in this time. And then ask him to, to add his spirit to guide us and lead us. We've been interrupted, I think, from our usual times and places of worship. We've been interrupted in other ways from our plans. And we may not be exactly sure what comes next or how we do it. But I think we can be sure that the mission of God continues. It continues through his people. And my my hope is that if we are a prayerful community like the one we see here, that if we're a community who remembers the sovereign power of God over all things, like we see here, that we'll also be empowered to, to move forward in his mission with new boldness, like we see here. May the, the resurrection power of Jesus be on display through us. Amen.